This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be with you this morning, close out 2023 by bringing to you God's Word. Um, if you haven't had the pleasure yet of meeting you, my name is Caleb. I'm currently one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. Um, Pastor Jeff, who normally is here each week preaching most weeks, um, he sends his love. He is preaching this morning in Marlton, New Jersey, um, which is the church that one planted this church um, a number of years ago. It also happens to be the church that his dad's the pastor of, and so he's serving them there this morning. Um, he will be back next week. Um, but this morning, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there in that passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, um, feel free to raise your hand. We have Bibles that we'd love to get in your hands um, so that you can see for yourself what we're going to be studying this morning. Typically, as a church, we go through the Bible systematically, one book at a time, one book of the Bible at a time. Um, but this Advent season, we've really been pausing, and we've paused, our, we were in a series in Judges, and we've paused that series to take some time to, um, to, to study what we are calling um, Behold Our King. As, as we've been going through Advent, we've been thinking about beholding our King in preparation for Christmas, and and so we're going to be jumping back into Judges in a couple weeks, um, but this morning we are going to continue this Advent, season, this Advent series because the season of Advent is not only looking back to celebrating the first coming of Jesus, but the season of Advent also looks forward in anticipation at the second coming of Christ. And so as the year ends, we want to look with anticipation to the second coming of Christ this morning. And so as we... Look forward to 2024 starting tomorrow. Um, a question that I have for you is, what is it that you are looking forward to in this coming year? Maybe in 2024 you're anticipating having a new job. Or maybe you are excited to potentially welcome a new member into your family. Maybe you're finally going to get out of debt this year or finish college. Maybe you're looking forward to the new relationships that you're going to be beginning this year, the new friendships that are ahead for you in the coming year. Maybe you're looking forward to 2024 as the year that's going to be provide closure to past hardships or maybe new improvements to your physical health. Or maybe you're simply anticipating 2024 is going to finally be the year that your New Year's resolutions last more than two weeks. But whatever that it is that we're anticipating in this coming year, I think we all have this sense of hope and longing that next year can and will be better. And if we're honest, it's not just New Year's that we feel this way about, but in general, don't we all long for something new and better? These anticipations that we feel of longings and anticipation, they're meant to be a reminder that there is indeed something better coming. That all is not yet as it should be. As Christians, we hope for the return of Christ in all his glory. 
And yet the fact that Christ will return can often be something that is so far from our minds. Something that we don't really think about very much. We don't spend very much time talking about it. Um, we, we spend lots of time reflect, rightfully reflecting back on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But often we fail to prioritize or live in light of the fact that Christ is indeed returning one day. And honestly, I, I understand that, right? We can be tempted to take the approach of, I know Jesus is coming back. I know that that's factually true. I believe that it will happen. But what does that really have to do with my life today? What does that reality really have to do with what I'm going, the decisions that I have to make this week? And I know that I can be tempted to think in that way. I can be tempted to, to forget that so easily, right? But the fact that our king is returning shouldn't just be a far-off idea for us. No, Scripture shows us that it is meant to motivate how we live our lives today, tomorrow, and every day until he returns or until he calls us home. And so this morning we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 3, and I think we're going to see that the fact that Christ is returning justifies the way in which God is calling us to live in the here and now. That the coming of Christ isn't just something that we speculate about with friends, but that it has significant implications for us in how we live our lives right here, right now. And so this morning I've entitled today's sermon, Behold the Returning King. And our big idea this morning is this. Knowing what will happen then should shape how we live now. Knowing what will happen then should shape how we live now. We're going to look at this in, in two parts this morning. Number one is going to be what will happen then. And two, how we should live now. What will happen then and how we should live now. So let's go ahead and read our passage this morning in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. Follow along with me. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Let us pray and ask God to bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Lord God, I pray that right now that you would come and would you come and meet your people, Lord God. God, we thank you for your word, which shows us yourself. God, I pray that you would be with me as I preach right now, Lord God, that you would empower me by the Spirit, that, that the sermon that I preach would be better than the one I prepared because of the work that your Spirit is doing, God. And so, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God, that you would help us to understand and hear and respond appropriately to the good news of the fact that we have a king who is returning, God. God, may this reality be ever-present in our minds, Lord God. And so I pray that you would just do what you do 
each week, Lord God, which is minister to your people through the preaching of your word for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, point number one, what will happen then? As we jump into 2 Peter chapter 3 here, we are right at the end of this short letter from the Apostle Peter. So far in this letter, Peter's been reminding the church that the grace that we have experienced in Christ is meant to change how we live our lives. And so we see in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, in verse 9, he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Then in chapter 2, Peter is warning them of the false prophets who will come to lead them astray. And now as we come to our text here in chapter 3, we see that he is pointing them to the coming day of the Lord. We see in verse 11, he says that all things are to be dissolved. That is to say that there is a day coming when this world as we know it will cease to exist. And it will be replaced by the new heavens and the new earth in the coming day of God. And this isn't just some apocalyptic idea, but rather it should fill us with hope and anticipation. Because in verse 12, we see that this end of the world will also be the day, the coming day of the Lord. He says in in verse 12 that we are waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. And then in verse 13, he says that this is according to his promise that we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, we'll talk in a couple minutes about what it looks like to wait for the new heavens and the new earth. But here, first, I think what we need to do is look at and see how this, what, what exactly this is. What does this mean, this new heavens and the new earth? What, what, what is that? Well, I think we can see that further described as we look in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 through 21, where it says this, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your glory and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. Friends, if we are in Christ, this is the future that we have to look forward to. A place where the sun and the moon are no longer even necessary. Why? Because God himself will be our light. Our everlasting light. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked about how we can't wrap our minds around the fact that God had no beginning. That he was there before there was a beginning. And here, as we reflect on the things to come, we also see that similarly, that if we are in Christ, we will have no end. Isaiah says, they will possess the land forever. Now the concept of forever is something that we can't really fully grasp. We live in a world limited by our own understanding of time. But our future, united with Christ, will know no end. There will be no 
and then what? John puts it this way in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4, when he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The forever that we will experience is one in which we will be in God's presence forever if we have placed our faith in Christ. It says the dwelling place of God will be with man. This is the same God who in the Old Testament, when Moses asked to see his glory in Exodus 33.20, God tells him, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And then when Moses came down from the mountain, his face shone so brightly from having just spoken with God that the people were afraid and had him put a veil on his face to protect them from the brightness of his face. And yet in the new heavens and the new earth, this same God will dwell with his people forever. He won't just be in the vicinity of his people. No, it says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Oh, friends, this new heavens and new earth will be a place where pain will no longer be experienced and where we will experience joy unfathomable. Let's look back at 2 Peter 3, verse the end, at the end of 13. It says, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, it says that, the, that righteousness is dwelling there. This new heavens and new earth will be a place of joy unfathomable because it is the place where righteousness dwells. Friends, righteousness dwells there because God is there. And so in spending our time with the Lord in this new heavens and the new earth, we will be in the place of perfect righteousness. We will be with and know the Lord without any barrier of sin. There will be no longer shame present to keep us from God. We will no longer experience struggles. We will no longer know what we should do and yet still do the opposite. No, we will be in a place of perfect obedience and union with our God. And this won't just be for a couple of days. It won't be like the Garden of Eden where they had it okay for a few minutes and then quickly went sideways. No, this is something that will be forever. If we have placed our faith in Christ, this is our hope. This is our future that we will forever be in perfect unity with God. And because of that, we will also be in perfect unity with one another. It will be a place where selfishness does not exist. A place where everyone loves their neighbor as themselves. A place where our love for one another doesn't wax and wane, but only gets stronger every day. Each Christmas, Jesse and I get each of our kids a book that points them to Jesus. It's just something we do each year. And this Christmas, 
we got Alice a book called The Awesome, Super, Fantastic, Forever Party. Quite the title. But it's a, a children's book written by Johnny Erickson Tata. And as the pastor who oversees children's ministry, um, I'm always happy to share good resources with you on how you can find good resources to help point your kids to Jesus. And this, this book is one of those books. Um, and if you aren't familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata, um, outside of the Bible, I don't know of someone who consistently points people to the hope of heaven more than she does. Um, but in this book, this children's book, she puts it this way. This is written for children, but I think it is so life-giving and such a helpful reminder even for us as adults. She says this, When Jesus comes back to this world, he will bring heaven with him. Heaven and earth will join together, which means that the world will be perfect. What's your favorite place in the world? In the new earth, it'll be even better. Nothing will get broken or go wrong. And in this perfect heaven on earth, you will be perfect too. That means no more sin. There will be no arguing or hurting, only peace and friendship. Life will be like standing under a waterfall of happiness. And this party goes on forever. There will always be a tomorrow, and every tomorrow will be better than yesterday. Oh, friends, what a hope we have in the life to come with Jesus in this new heavens and new earth. And this future hope that we have in, in the new heavens and the new earth, it is meant to bring us present encouragement today. In talking about the coming day of the Lord, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, we see here in this passage that the return of Christ is meant to bring real and practical hope and encouragement to the church. That this should be something that we are regularly talking about and reflecting on and encouraging one another about. We see Paul in 1 Corinthians encourages the church with these words this way. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, you see the rich hope in this pa passage. This perishable body, broken and weak as it is, will one day be made completely new. But not just new like we know in this world. Buying new clothes is great, but how long does that newness last? Not very long. 
It's amazing that in this life we can experience things like new hips and new shoulders and even new eyesight. But all those things, wonderful as they may be, are still temporary. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul is pointing to a newness that never, ever fades. He says the perishable takes on the imperishable. The mortal takes on immortality. Friends, in the coming day of God, this is our great hope. That one day, we won't just long for a day where the sting of death is no longer felt. But that will be our reality. This is the victory that Christ has accomplished on the cross for all those who believe in Him. And there is no greater hope in the world than that which we can find in Christ and the fact that He is coming back to make all things new. Maybe you're here this morning and you are so aware of how hard life can be right now. Maybe 2023 is a year you cannot wait to move on from. Know this, that in your pain, in your suffering, your God is not unaware of what you've gone through. He's not unaware of what you are going through right now. No, not only is he aware, but there is a coming a day when he himself will wipe every tear of sorrow and suffering from our eyes. And in place of the current pain you're experiencing now, he will give you more of himself. And all the former things of pain and mourning that we experience now will be replaced with endless joy and union with Christ. They won't be replaced in a way that is dismissive or delegitimizes the pain that we're experiencing now but rather in a way in which we will see that it was all part of his working to make all things new. Do you see how deep our hope is in Christ's return? That we will be with him forever. The Apostle Paul talks about how this hope of a forever with Christ changed the way he lived in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. A few chapters later in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us what in fact his light and momentary afflictions looked like. They don't sound so light and momentary when, when we read them, but he says five times he was whipped, 39 times. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and a night adrift in the sea. He talks of all the dangers he experienced on his journeys, how he was sleepless at times, hungry and thirsty often. So how in the world could Paul experience all of those things and still have hope? Friends, is it not because he was intimately aware and motivated by the fact that this world is but momentary in comparison with eternity. Paul was fixated on the return of the king when Jesus will come back and establish the new heavens and the new earth. We are often willing to endure a short amount of pain if it means an extended amount of relief. Every two weeks, I give myself a shot. It takes about 10 seconds to administer and this little needle that takes 10 seconds is 
um, used to keep my eczema at bay. Um, if you knew me four or five years ago, um, I was covered pretty much head to toe in eczema. I couldn't go five or ten seconds without itching. It became like a nervous tick because I, my body was just always itching. I was always in a state of uncomfort. And yet I found this medicine called Dupixent, which I can take every two weeks, ten seconds, and I experience relief unlike I could have imagined back then. That the pain of that 10-second shot every two weeks pales in comparison to the relief it provides. I, I'm okay with the pain of that needle because I know something better is coming. And friends, in a far greater way, how small is our 70 or 80 or 90 years of pain and difficulty in this life? in comparison to an eternity of joy that never ends. Oh, friends, our pain and our suffering is real, and it is not to be just brushed aside. But friends, what this passage in Second Peter reminds us is that our pain and our suffering is worth enduring because Christ is coming back. Friends, our pain will not have the final word. No, the final word is that Christ is coming back to establish a new heavens and a new earth where we will be with Him forever in perfect peace and joy. And so, in light of what will happen then, let's look at our second point, which is how we should live now. Here in 2 Peter chapter 3, we see how the hope of Christ's return in the future determines how we are to live our lives right now. Peter does this through two main instructions in this passage. Two ways that he's calling us to live in light of the fact of Christ's return. First, he's calling us to be holy. And second, he is calling us to live missionally. So let's look first at how he is calling us to be holy. In our passage in verse 11, it says that Peter, Peter says that we ought to be people who are marked by holiness and godliness. He says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? The word holy means to be dedicated or set apart for God. And so our lives should be a life that is, that is lived for God. Our lives should be ones that are lived in reference to God. And this makes sense because at the beginning of verse 11, he says, all these things are thus to be dissolved. Everything in this life is going to go away. Anything besides God that we set our lives on is going to fail us. That's what he's telling us here in, in verse 11. That those things are not going to last. And yet, how easy is it for us to forget that? I know, it, I know it's easy for me. It doesn't take long to become distracted and captivated by the things of this world. We live in a day and age where endless entertainment of any and every variety is literally at our fingertips in ways that generations before us could have never even imagined. How easy it can be for us to get caught in an endless scroll of social media or to go down a YouTube rabbit trail without even meaning to do so. We look up and we're like, where did the last 30 minutes go? How did I even end up here, right? It happens so easily. And to be clear, there's a place for entertainment. I'm not, I'm not saying that we all need to, you know, we'll have a bucket, 
by the door on your way out, you can throw your cell phone away. No, we're not, I'm not saying that. But we should live our lives marked by the fact that we are indeed living for a different place. And so the question is, what are we living our lives for? What is it that we, are, that we give our time, thoughts, and conversations to? Perhaps a good way to help answer this question is to think about how our calendar would answer this question. And so as we begin a new year, it's a great time to consider, what does my calendar look like? Does how I spend my time show someone who is seeking to live a life of holiness and godliness? Or does my calendar more reflect that I make time for the Lord when it's convenient or when I know that it's what I should be doing? I know for me, it can be so easy to drift in this area. I can talk about desiring for heaven and, and being with Christ and how exciting that is. And, then, and yet in reality, it's more of a passing thought than it is a driving force to how I choose to use my time. It can be so much easier to turn on a sporting event or to sit and watch a TV show than, for example, sit and read a book that is going to strengthen my resolve to live a life of holiness and godliness. Or even when I spend time with friends, it can be so easy to just stay on the surface, on the superficial, and never even really get, in, get into talking with the Lord. And that's with Christians, right? It can be so easy to, to not take my holiness and godliness seriously. And I think at times, when we think and talk about holiness and godliness, we can really be tempted to, to feel one of two ways. On one hand, we can feel guilt. We can just feel this sense of guilt because we realize that we've strayed in, in our walk with the Lord. We've strayed in taking our walk with the Lord seriously. Or on the other hand, we can believe the lie that holiness means being boring and sucking all of the fun and joy out of our lives. And yet the truth is, this life of holiness is what gives us peace gives us the peace that our heart desires. And we see this in verse 14 of our text this morning where it says, Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. See, this life filled with the, this is a life that should be filled with things like the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who doesn't want to be around someone that embodies all of those things. In John chapter 10, Jesus says it this way, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Friends, to live a life of holiness is not one to suck all of the joy out of our lives. No, it is to live a life that is abundant, that we can have life in Christ. Even in, even in what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 10, that, that to settle for less is not to have life at all. right? He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so in desiring to be holy and godly, God doesn't just want us to keep us from something that's good. No, God wants to give us the goodness that is himself. And so if you're here this morning, you are aware of your need to grow in holiness and godliness. Take heart. 
that while the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus has laid down his life for you. And he did so. Not because he wants you to be boring and miserable, but because he actually wants you to have an abundant and joy-filled life. Not apart from him, but in him. And so don't believe the lies of this world that seek to steal the true joy that can only be found in our good shepherd. Instead, let us, like Peter says in verse 14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Friends, we aren't going to accidentally fall into greater affection for the Lord. This word diligent means to make every effort to endeavor. And so our holiness is something that we should be conscientiously thinking about and working towards. And the fact that Christ is returning should be the fuel that empowers that kind of effort. So when you are tempted to be apathetic in your faith, be reminded that your King is returning. And He desires to find you without spot or blemish. And furthermore, our, our diligence and the confidence that He is returning is meant to bring us peace in our lives. This is what Peter is getting at when he says, be found at peace in verse 14. We live in a world that is anything but peaceful. And yet, because we are living for a heavenly kingdom, because our, our afflictions are but light and momentary, we can have peace here and now. This peace that Peter is talking about is described this way by the Strong's Concordance. It says, The tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and content with its earthly lot, of whatsoever sort that is. Oh friends, this is what the glorious return of our King means for us, that we can experience a state of complete assurance in the salvation of Christ, to the point that we are without fear and content with whatever may come our way. Martin Luther famously said, there are two dates on my calendar, this day and that day. Friends, may this be true of us as well, that we are a people who live this day in light of that day. And so we see in light of Christ's return that we are called to live lives of holiness. And secondly, Peter is calling us here to live missionally. In verse 12, we see that Peter wants us to know that we are to live lives that are marked by waiting and hastening the coming day of the Lord. Now maybe even when we first read that at the beginning, this idea of hastening the coming day of the Lord, how, how can we hasten that? Isn't the time of Jesus' return already appointed by God? And the answer is yes, of course. We cannot change what God has already ordained. But rather, here Peter is showing us that God is using us as the means to bring about what he has already ordained. That by living lives marked by waiting for his return, we can affect the time of the Lord's return. 
And we see here that we do this by waiting expectantly. In verse 15, Peter says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Earlier in the chapter, in verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. (coughs) Do you see the connection here? The fact that Jesus has not yet come back is evidence of his patience. Oh, he is coming back to fulfill his promise. He is coming back. But the fact that he is not back yet is good news for us this morning. Because it is evidence of his patience towards us. That he is still at work seeking and saving the lost. It is evidence that he has more people here in Philadelphia that he is bringing out of the darkness of addiction. It's evidence that he has more unreached people groups that around the world that need the gospel brought to them and he intends to do that. Friends, it is evidence that he has more of our friends and family who have yet to place their faith in Christ. Oh, friends, Jesus is practicing patience in his return because he still has more and more people he is still saving. And so we need to live our lives with great anticipation, waiting and longing for his return. But this waiting is an active participation. It's not like going to the DMV and waiting in line helpless and frustrated because it's taking way longer than it should. No, instead, our waiting should be one of active anticipation by being about God's work and His purposes. See, friends, the fact that Jesus is returning should make us all the more vigilant to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Jesus has not yet returned because he still has more people that he is drawing to himself. And as we know, salvation doesn't happen in a vacuum, but rather the main means of grace that God uses to bring individuals to salvation is his people sharing the gospel with others. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And church, I am so encouraged by you that this is a call that you as a church, that we as a church take seriously. I'm so aware of the many people who are regularly praying for and seeking opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with those around them. And as we enter the new year, as we enter 2024, I want to encourage you, continue. Continue doing what you are doing. Do not grow weary in doing good. Continue asking God to bring salvation to those around us. Friends, we know that God will save because Jesus has not yet returned. Which means He's not done saving people. 
and we, the church, can be hastening his return by seeking to be faithful to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. The reality is God has placed each one of us exactly where we are because he has a mission for each of us to carry out. God has you on your block with your neighbors because there are people there that God wants you to share the gospel with. When I think of my block, I think of the fact that I have lots of awesome neighbors who we're good friends with. I also have some neighbors that can be a little bit more difficult. Um, they can be easy to get annoyed and frustrated with them. You, you know the type. We have a block where we have more cars on our block than spots. And yet there are some neighbors who like put out a cone for their car. Right? There can be easy reasons to get frustrated with them. And in those moments, I need to be reminded that I need to live this life in light of the fact that Christ is returning. And so maybe, just maybe, God has put my family in those pesky, annoying neighbors' lives because I'm the only one in their life who can tell them the good news about Jesus. Maybe I'm the only Christian that they know. And so instead of being caught up and frustrated by the annoyances that happen and they're real and they're frustrating, we need to be people who are thinking with eternity in mind. That because Jesus is returning, we have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, not just with the people we like, but with those who are difficult in our lives. And so maybe you have family members who are really difficult to deal with. Or maybe you have coworkers who pluck your last nerve. Friends, realize that God may have placed these kinds of people in your life because he wants to use you as the means to bring salvation to them. Friends, may we be a people who are waiting and longing for the return of our King. But may our waiting be marked by a fervent desire to share the gospel with those around us. Knowing that God is still rescuing people from the darkness of sin and bringing them into the light of the gospel. And maybe you're here this morning and Christianity is new to you. Or maybe you are, you've been coming out for a while and yet you've yet to place your faith in Christ. Friend, I would want you to know that God's patience is an invitation to you this morning. That as you've heard this morning, that this life is not all that there is, but rather that God in His kindness wants you to come and know Him, to place your faith in Christ, to say no to the sin that you currently live in, and to say yes to new life in Christ, and to know that you can live a life for a heavenly home. Myself or Pastor Matt will be here afterwards and would love to talk to you more about what this looks like. What does it mean to have faith in Christ? We, we're going to have people up, up here at the front at the end of the service. They would be happy to pray with you and talk with you more about this. But friends, I would encourage you, do not leave today without considering all that you've heard this morning. And as we come to a close this morning, let us be filled with faith. That we have a king who, isn't, who hasn't just done something, but that he is still at work in and through us, hastening the day of his return. And as we look forward to the coming year in 2024, I don't know what the Lord has in store for each one of us, 
but let's live this coming year in eager anticipation as we behold the returning King. Let us live in confidence that our King is returning. And may that reality be what motivates us to live lives of holiness. And may the fact that we know what happens then be our motivation for living missionally now. So let's pray.